If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it. <coughs> First chapter of the book of Ephesians. There's also some Bibles there under the chairs if you'd like to take one of those. I don't know how many of you have had this experience, but probably many of you. Gone into your favorite buffet place, taken a plate, filled up your <coughs> plate with, from the salad bar, and you sit down and you look at what you've got on your plate, and you go, I think this is going to be a meal right here. I don't think I'm going to be able to go back. <coughs> and that's pretty much what happened to me this week. We're talking about feeding on the word of Ephesians, and I was, uh, we're going to cover verses 3 to 10, and we're going to try and make it through verses 3 and 4 here. <clears throat> so bear with me as we go through this. Uh, we're just going to walk through it. I don't, I don't want to skip things along the way that are important things, and there are just so many really important things in this little book of the New Testament. And so we'll go until we run out of time and then we'll pick it up uh, the next week. So it begins, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. You know, the first word there, praise be to God, uh, I want you to make note of that. It's like a book on the shelf. We're going to take it off the shelf. We're going to set it on the table. We're not going to look at it today, but we're going to look at it next week because that little phrase... Praise be to God. If you don't understand the implication of that in this world and in your life, you will miss the very purpose, the very purpose for which you exist. And I realize that's a pretty, uh, I'm stating that pretty significantly, but it is, I believe, that significant. So next week we will, we will pick up that one and, and look at it a little bit more. I want you to just think as we start, I want to say this up front. It says, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you probably, someone's maybe asked you, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, there's three words there. Now, one of them is his name. His name is Jesus. His name is not Jesus Christ. The angel didn't come to Mary and say, you should call his name Jesus Christ. So you should call his name Jesus Jesus means one who saves. And so the angel said, you should call his name Jesus for, what was his primary purpose for coming? He will save his people from their sin. So Jesus is his name. Messiah, the word Christ means the Messiah. So it's, it's Jesus, when we say Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. It's a, it's a description that this is Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the Christ one, the one that was coming, the one that was prophesied. And then we have this, we have this word Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord is his title. Lord is, is his title. Now, you've probably heard someone say, uh, you know, maybe you've said this to someone or, You've heard this phrase, but you shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. So for us, that means if you hit your thumb with the hammer and you say the Lord's name, that you, you're taking his name in vain. I would like to suggest to you that's an extremely shallow understanding of what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. 
To do something in vain means, literally, it means to do something in a shallow way or to do something with no substance. And so, if, if there was a big rock here, we might say, and I was trying to push this rock, and if, you might say, if I couldn't move that rock very far, you might say, well, I, I was out there, but I, I, I moved the rock, but it was all in vain. In other words, there was no substance to what I did. There was no depth to what I accomplished. It was just very shallow. That's what we mean by that. So I'd like you to think about that in terms of if you, take, if, if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord, if you take on that name, I want you to think about what it would mean to take on the Lord's name, to take the Lord's name in vain. It would mean to take on that title in a very shallow way or without any substance. And so Jesus reminds us that on the last day, there will be many people that come and say, Lord, Lord, I, I did this in your name. I did this in your name. And the Lord will say, you know, I, you, you just called me Lord. I, I didn't know you in that way. You, you may have taken on that name, but you, you took it on in vain because I, I didn't know you as Lord. So Jesus says, why do you call me you know, Lord, Lord. I don't see the impact of that by how you lived out your life. You don't do the things that I say. And so this morning, I, I, want, to, I want us to be very clear that what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about some amazing things that God has done for his people. But these things are for those who know Jesus Christ as Lord. And so, if, if you don't, understand what that means or you have questions about that, I would really encourage you to talk to somebody. Talk to me, talk to somebody you know, and because this is, these are great truths, but they are for those who are in Christ, and we see that phrase repeated. Everything here that we experience is for those that are in Christ Jesus. So, here's the first phrase. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Let's just stop right there because when I was reading this, if you don't fully understand something, it's good to stop. I don't know if you understand what it means that God our Father has blessed you in the heavenly realms. Do you know what that means? That God has blessed you in the heavenly realms. Well, I had some questions about that, so <clears throat> I, I discovered that that phrase is used five times. It's all used in Ephesians, in this book here. And so I, I, I googled online, and I just googled the, the topic, and came up with an article written by a guy with a PhD, and, and he was comparing two of the usages here of the word heavenly realm, so I thought, well, that'd be an interesting article to read. So I, I went to it. 297 pages. Uh, it just gives you a little under, it gives you a sense of how deep you can go into some of this stuff. So I, I went to another article. <coughs> and uh, actually, I, I do what I do on those. I read the beginning and I read the end. 
And so, but I, I learned a few things about this that was helpful, and I just want to pass it on. You know, when we think of, first of all, the word here, heavenly places, some of your translations may have a footnote there, but the word there is inserted. Really, the word places or, or realms is inserted. What it really is, is who has blessed us in the heavenlies. That's the literal translation. God has blessed you in the heavenlies. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, the heavenlies, you know, we think of the heavenlies as what God has in store for me in heaven somewhere. So one day I'm going to die and God has all these blessings in store for me. Meanwhile, you know, we have stuff down here, but one day I get, to, I get all the good stuff that God has in the heavens. <clears throat> That's not a, an accurate understanding here of what's being said. The heavenly realms is, is really, the heavenlies is the realm of invisible spiritual realities. Okay? So God has blessed you in this realm of things that you cannot see. It's not a place. Don't think of it as a place. It's more of a realm out there. Everything that's invisible. All the principalities, all the powers, all the rulers, all the authorities. All of those things that are yours that, that you can't see with your eyes. You know, where, this is where all of the, when you pray and resources come, this is where they come from. I mean, there's no warehouse, there's no warehouse around here where you can go and pick up peace or grace or hope or any of those kinds of things. So where does it come from? Where does that come from? Well, it's, it's in the heavenlies. Uh, there's a story in the Old Testament about Elijah and this widow, and he, she, he asked for the very last bit of oil she had, and she gave it to him, and the next morning she gets up and there's oil in the jar. You remember that story? Yeah, where did the oil come from? Yeah, there's no oil. There's no oil in the land. It was a famine. It came from God's resources in the heavenlies. Where you know when 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 Jesus fed the five thousand people, where did all those where did all that fish come from? It didn't come from the Sea of Galilee. It didn't come from anywhere. You know, it came from God. Yeah, <clears throat> and so these are the resources that that God has. For us, and so we see here that this is a this is a realm. Now, let me ask you a question: <clears throat> Do you ever experience Christ's presence in your life? Let's say most of us who are believers here would say, "Yeah, I experience the presence of Christ in my life." So, where is Christ right now? Where is Christ now? I don't, I don't want to ruin any of your Sunday school <coughs> images or songs or anything like that. But you know, I, I remember growing up as a kid singing, uh, every Easter we sang the song, I serve a risen Savior, he's in the world today. At the very end of that song it says, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Well, I'm not so sure about that. <coughs> the Bible doesn't say that Jesus had a point in time where he talked to his disciples and he said, guys, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going to leave you. 
and I'm going to a place, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and, but I will come back again, and, and you will see me again. But I'm leaving, so I'm going to send a comforter to be with you. I'm not going to be with you, but the comforter, comforter will be with you. So Jesus has this conversation with him. You know, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts when we receive Christ, but Christ, according to Ephesians 1.20, it says that God, he's talking about this power he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So Jesus is in the heavenly realms at the right hand of God. Now that's really important for you and me because he is interceding on our behalf before the Father. So he's functioning like a priest there. He's our high priest. He, you know, <clears throat> he, he has that ministry on an ongoing basis before the Father. He's also our king. And so he's reigning over all of these. The Bible says in a number of spots that when God raised him, he put him over. He defeated all the powers and principalities and rulers and authorities. So there are authorities today that would love to destroy your marriage and your lives and your kids. And, and God, Jesus Christ, is reigning over all those authorities. And so he's protecting you. And he has that kingly ministry in, in the lives of each one of us. And so that's taking place in the heavenly realms. So let me ask you another question. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, the Bible says you're in Christ, then if Christ isn't here, then where are you? Ephesians 2.6 says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in, here it is, the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus. So you're with Jesus. Now you're here, but you're in another realm. You have been blessed with these blessings in another realm. So now, even though Christ isn't here, you can experience His presence in the heavenlies because you are in Christ and Jesus is in the heavenlies, seated next to the Father. Now, it gets a little confusing because you're going, well, one minute you said that we, you know, Christ isn't with us, and, and now you're saying that we are with him. And what, what we need to understand is, is that once we get saved, we now enter a whole new realm. Before that, you're only aware of this temporal realm. But now there are blessings that are coming from this other realm because we are in Christ. And so even though you haven't seen him with your eyes, even though you haven't heard his voice speak to you, because on a spiritual level you're seated with him, you can experience on a spiritual level now, you, in that realm you can experience Christ's presence and the sense that he is very near to you. And so, you know, Paul is going to pray in verse 18. We'll see that down the road. Paul's going to pray that the eyes the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so you can see these truths, these heavenly blessings that are yours. Now this is important because I think a lot of us tend to live 
in this realm. And we get, we get kind of all caught up in this realm and we lose touch with some of these amazing spiritual realities, things that are, these blessings that are ours in the heavenlies. So you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Can you, can you picture that reality in your mind? <clears throat> that on a spiritual level, on a soul level, that you are, that you are with Christ, seated next to him. I think this is what Paul's talking about when he says, now set your minds on things above, not on, on things below. So everything you're going to hear about, <clears throat> all the things that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks here, all of these blessings, these are, these are blessings that God has blessed you with in the heavenlies, in the invisible, unseen reality. And so here's what he's blessed you with. He's going, to, he's going to talk about them in terms of this. They are, he says, he's blessed you in the heavenlies with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Spiritual blessing in Christ. Every, by the way, every spiritual blessing. You don't just get some of them. You get all of them. Now, the first time I did this study, it was a long time ago, I was... It's one of the first studies I did, and it was in my, my home church I'd grown up in back in Stanchfield, Minnesota. And I had a mixed group of people, and I had this whiteboard, and so I started the study off like this. I said, how has God blessed you? Just what, what pops into your mind? What are the blessings in your life? And so I wrote them down. You know, God's blessing with good health, someone said. And someone said, God's blessing with a good job. And someone said, God's blessing me with a home and a car and, and good friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ. And, uh, of course, every good husband there said, my wife. And, you know, we had this list of about ten things. And then I said, okay, how many of these could be gone tomorrow? And so we started erasing them. And we got done and there was like, Maybe out of a dozen, there were maybe two left. Because you know what? Your spouse could be gone tomorrow. Your health could be. You could wake up in the morning. Your job, you have no guarantees of your job. You could walk in and, <clears throat> and find that pink slip on your desk. And so those are, those are called temporal blessings. They're temporary. It means they can be taken away. Spiritual blessings cannot be taken away from you. Nobody can take them, no situation. That's what's so amazing about the spiritual blessings. So every blessing we're going to talk about here, nobody can take that away. That will not be gone tomorrow morning or the week after or when you breathe your last breath. They transcend this temporal world in which you and I live. Now, it was interesting. I did, I, I, a couple years later, I was, I filled in, I was filling in for somebody at the local nursing home. So I thought, you know, I want to use that illustration with Ephesians again because that was a good illustration. It, it illustrated the point well. So I, I wrote down, I said, how has God blessed you? And I, I wrote down all the things. And then I said, so I looked at the list. I said, now, which of these could be gone tomorrow? And there was like almost none of them. 
They listed all spiritual blessings. So why was that? A lot of them had lost their spouse. Most of them had lost their home. That's why they were in the nursing home. They couldn't work anymore. They lost their jobs. They lost many of their good friends. Some of them had lost kids. And this reality comes into focus as you, the longer you live your life because you begin to lose some of those things and it forces you to focus in on those things that nobody and nothing can take away, those spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. And so I, I think we should thank God every day for every temporal blessing he gives you. For our daily bread, give, give God thanks. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But sometimes we just get so temporally focused. You know, we come up with a list of prayer requests and it's people's jobs and their health and all kinds of things. And like, where are the requests that we're praying that we'd have, as Paul's going to pray here, a realization of the incredible hope that we have awaiting us? You ever pray for that? that God would just fill you with hope or that you would have that peace that passes understanding? Are we trying to pray away the experience in our life so we can have peace? Are we just praying for, for that gift of peace despite the circumstance? How many times do you have on your prayer list that you would comprehend to a greater degree the depth of God's love for you? And so I, I think if we were honest and we looked at our prayer list, we would find that we're a lot more temporal than we are spiritual in, in how we pray. Let's move on. <clears throat> For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. I want you to notice something in the letter here. I'm not going to spend a long time on this, but for he chose us. When you read through this, it's us. God has blessed us. He's revealed to us. It's us, 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 us. It's not you. It's us. And one thing you about the Bible is the Bible is very collective. It's very communal. Uh, it's not individualistic. Western, our, our culture is very individualistic. It's about me. What God did for you, he just didn't do it for you. He did it for us. Okay? These blessings are for us. We need to think in terms of us because that's how God looks at us. You're not the bride of Christ. We together are the bride of Christ. We together are the church. And so people who say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church, doesn't work that way. You know, <clears throat> it just doesn't work the way. As I come to me and say, I like you, but I don't like your bride. Well, I love my bride. If you're going to love me, you better love my bride. So if you say I love Christ, you better love his church because Christ loves his church. He died for his church. And so this is written to us. <clears throat> so here's our, last, here's our last one, and I'll probably make a lot of enemies on this one. That's okay. He chose us before the creation of the world. For what purpose? This is amazing. <clears throat> to be holy and blameless in his sight. So just think about this at face value, just to start with. You're sitting here today, 
and you know Christ, you're in Christ, you've placed your faith in Christ, do you know that God chose you before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight? That that is God's predominant purpose for your life. Yeah, God wants you to accomplish things and do well here and, and you know, but God looks at a much... God wants you in his presence, holy and blameless. Before he ever said, let there be light, God chose us in him before that moment for the purpose of standing in his presence, being holy and perfect. Some of us need to take some time and think about that and get our heads around that amazing, amazing truth. Now, in our day, and I'm just going to mention this, you know, we've got, we've got, this brings up, of course, we can't, you can't get by Ephesians, Ephesians 4 and 5 here, or 3 and 4, and as we move through this, you can't get by without being confronted with the issue of election. And, and many of you are aware, but some of you may not, that there, are, there have been, for hundreds, thousands of years, there have been two camps of people, those on this side that say, you know what, we choose God, and we have a choice in that, and we all have free will, and all of us make a choice about God. And then you have another side that says, you know what, God chose us in him before the creation of the world. Take that just for what it says, that God chose people before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Not everybody got chosen. And so there's this side that says, you know what? You, you may feel like you're choosing God, but really God chose you. And if God hadn't chosen you, you know, you, you, would, not, you would not respond to him. So we have, we have an Armenian and a, and a Calvinistic view of, of these passages. <clears throat> and you can make your case, you know, on either side. You can stand over here with free will and say, you know what? The Bible says God desires that all men be saved. First Peter, he says, you know what? The only reason God's waiting is that he desires that none would perish. So if God desires that none would perish, why did he decide that some would perish? And so you have, you have the arguments over here. <clears throat> and then you have over here you know, we can go to Romans 9 and the question that we would say to God is, God, it's not fair that you would choose some people before the creation of the world and not choose other people. That's not fair. Well, that question comes up in Romans 9. I'll just listen to it. Rebecca's children had one and the same father, the father, our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad. In order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It 
does not therefore depend on man's desire, that's what it says, or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this purpose, that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. And one of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? So that's the question. Right there. God, if you chose some and not others, then, then who can resist that? And here is God's answer. And I think his answer is very important. Who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God? I mean, in one sense, he doesn't answer the question. Does he? He doesn't give us an objective answer. He just says, who are you to question what I do? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes, some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he has called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. So you have these two sides. <clears throat> and you have great arguments on both sides. And you have passage of Scripture that just seem to nail down that this one's right. And then, and then you read here, and I will tell you, <clears throat> my own personal stance is, my own personal stance is that God desires, God does have the desire <clears throat> that all would come to faith and all would come to repentance. <clears throat> and that God in his foreknowledge chose before the creation of the world and that when I want to ask God on what basis have you made those selections before the creation of the world, God is silent. And he does not tell us the basis upon which in his foreknowledge he makes those decisions. And therein lies in my stance a mystery, a mystery to this debate that has gone on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. I know that God delights in created beings that respond to him in love and I, I know that that is not a robotic completely robotic response and I also know that I am standing here today speaking I am in Christ because before the creation of the world God chose I believe that God chose that I would be in this place so wherever you come down on the issue, I think that it's very important to understand this, 
that there's not one person in this room that would ever have responded to Christ, would ever have opened their heart, would have ever repented had not God initiated that process in your life. And if you're here today, there's a, there's a wonder and a question as to, you know, why am I here? And Joe Blow down the road is, has no concept of God. Why are the people around here? Why, why am I here and not someone else? And I think God only knows the basis upon which he chose to, to have you here in this place, which he chose to, to bring you to a place where you could understand him, where he chose to pour his mercy out on you. And it would be <clears throat> a shame to miss this truth here and I, I want to end with this, but this is, the, this is the thing that I want us to take from this is that one of the greatest blessings uh, that you could ever have is when you wake up every morning and you walk through every day and you go to bed every night to realize that the God of this universe had you in mind and worked things out in your life so you could be where you are today in, in this place of experiencing every spiritual blessing in Christ. And you'll never figure out, you will never know why God chose you to have that amazing privilege. And so <clears throat> I want to encourage you to, uh, to realize that this is, the, you know, this is the first spiritual blessing that Paul mentions. And next week we're going we're gonna to run through a number of others. But this is the first one to grab hold of, is that before the creation of, before anything began, that God shows you that you would be one day holy and blameless in his sight. And you know what? Because he's blessed you in the heavenly realms, you can experience that, you can experience that reality. You don't have to wait for another day. You can experience that now. You can experience these resources that God uh, has given you in your life. Father, I thank you for your word here. There's just, we could spend a long, long time talking about this truth today. But Father, we know that you are sovereign and we know that you are a God who initiated to us so that we could have an opportunity to know you. And today, we just want to pause and we want to thank you that you initiated your grace and you initiated that mercy in our lives. And uh, we, just, we just thank you that we can call ourselves your people. And uh, Lord, over these next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at the... We're going to come to understand uh, why, why the term generous is applied to your name because you have lavished on us uh, so much blessing and so many great things. And so we just, we just worship you and praise you today. We pray that you just fill our hearts and minds uh, with these things. And Lord, should we get a chance this week uh, to pass on this to others, <coughs> uh, might we do that? And so we just thank you and praise you for this time together. And in Jesus' name, amen.